0: Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. We can be a little bit shouting and loud at the message, I would contend. And it's good to sometimes pause, isn't it, I think, just receive the peace of God. And what an amazing thing, truly, that you can do that. You know, when we know Christ, you can pause and access the presence of the Holy Spirit at any time. And I, you know, I'm, I know a lot of people say you can leak the presence of the Spirit. I'm, I'm kind of more on the line that you can um, suppress and numb and blunt the work of God in your life through just life stuff and daily carnage and experiences and even a commute can do that. You know, you can numb and blunt and squash the presence of God. And sometimes my prayer is not like... You know, there is refill me and we can, you know, in one sense, lose a sense of God in us. But I'm... Sometimes my prayer is well up inside me again. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like, refresh me. I know you're present. You're still present in my life, so just well up within me. And I found that to be a, a helpful prayer. Anyway, I've just... um I've been living in a field, mostly, since last Wednesday. Uh, I did have two nights in a rather shabby B&B called the Riverside, but it, it sounds lovely, but it is not. And uh, <laughs> it really isn't. It's, like, really dodgy. I think I was, like, living next door to some drug dealers, and there's a bloke who's getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, coughing his guts up every morning and stuff. So it's quite good to get to my mate's awning on uh, Friday... And so since Friday, I've been living in my mate's awning until uh, yesterday. Um, That was quite cold uh, and very, very uncomfortable, all for Jesus. So what I was doing was um, running an event that Christian Vision for Men run that I founded six years ago. So it's the seventh event called The Gathering, which is an evangelistic men's event. Women don't switch off. Because you're going to love what I'm about to tell you. So we we started that. I said six years ago. I I was at a Christian conference, feeling moderately bored. Nine years ago, um, cocktail sticks in eyes bored. If I'm honest, and. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to create a conference that I want to go to, selfishly. I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing because I want, I want some fun as well as preach the gospel. And I thought, what do I like? Oh, blowing up caravans, skydiving, a bar, comedians, all that kind of stuff. So we, we advertised it as a gathering. We didn't know who was going to turn up, and 300 men turned up in the first year. And it it was very amateur, we didn't have enough toilets, we didn't have enough showers, and it was just literally a field. It was a miraculous turn of events, because when we said we wanted to do that, um, we didn't have any suppliers or a field or anything, and at this conference, literally at this conference, when I said arrogantly to my friends, I'm going to create a conference that I want to go to, (laughs) that we can preach the gospel, and they said, what's it look like? I said, well, I hate camping, actually, but I think... We can get more men if we camp, and blah, 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 blah. This guy came over to me at that event with a cardboard tube. He said, can I have five minutes of your time? I went, yes. He sat down, opened the cardboard tube, and pulled out a map, and spread it over the table. And he said, I have just bought some polo fields. He said, and we were going to use them for polo. Anyone here play polo? No, so apparently it's quite good. And... Um, uh, and then he said but my son drove in through the gates of these polo fields and he had a vision of thousands of men coming to Christ on this field Uh, I was like you're kidding me Um, and he said no he said and I feel like I want to give you these fields every year to run an event so first year we had 300 guys second year 700 guys, still didn't have enough toilets or showers or anything. And then we kept learning as we went along. And basically all we did was we burnt stuff and we shot stuff and we told men about Jesus. It was all a bit amateur. The first bar that we opened could only fit 50 people in and it had the world's grumpiest barman from Swindon running it. And then uh, and gradually expanded to the point where now uh, we're expecting probably over two and a half thousand next year last year we had a couple of thousand guys but when we had Tim Vine and Simon Thomas and Sky Sports and we last year we were sponsored by Formula One teams, they brought Formula One cars down, we had the Battle of Britain Memorial flight this year and uh, we had two thousand guys breaking bread in the field and we organised what they didn't know was a, a, a 250 foot a hurricane came flying over as the men broke bread in the field as the sun came out, that was quite cool so all that kind of stuff and it's glorious and uh, this year over 5% of the camp made first time commitments to Christ which is amazing and uh, last year was around 10% of the camp because it's a place where people know they can bring their non-Christian mates which is what it was all about so that's why I was uh, away and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story behind that as we go along and fill in a few more gaps because it has been a remarkable thing I want to show you some pictures that uh, only uh, literally I came out the field, came home, and then came to the sales meeting this morning. So I'm a bit behind. This was um, uh, this was about four years ago. The basic pattern is Friday night we mess around and we have worship, and then someone preaches. Then on Saturday I preach morning and evening, and Sunday we're having a guest to send everyone out. And there's lots of testimonies. Seal's been there. Vital Signs have been there. And Andy was there this year. And it's all good. And the mess-up was there. We're really ramping up message presence at the event. Which is a really good partnership. But what people... And I told this story this year. Every Saturday at the event, on the Saturday evening, I preach the gospel for decisions. And it's a full-on gospel. It's hell. It's judgment. It's good news. It's rescue. It's no holding back. We talk about the cost. Every single year... As I've gone to preach the gospel on a Saturday night, a rainbow has appeared over the main tent. Let me show you. Different years. Even, even when it's not been raining. Um, seriously. Yeah, let's keep going forward. Sometimes we've had double rainbows. And then last year... Last year as I preached, I, went, I said to Steve, our ops director, I said, mate, is there a rainbow over the tent? He went, no, boss. And I went, oh. I felt a bit deflated. And uh, anyway, I preached the gospel. And last year, we had the biggest ever response to the gospel we'd seen in the camp. It said 10% of the camp got saved and uh, we give a bible to every guy we have something called the prayer shed which is basically a tent and we write prayer shed on it and uh we always say to guys who've responded i've got an old cross that i've taken with me to every men's event i do where it's evangelistic and i had it propped up at the front and i say to you guys come forward and kneel at the cross surrender your life I mean, it's proper old school stuff and uh, last year actually this cross one um, it was so muddy. I mean, it was so bad. We were almost wanting to just never do it again. I mean, literally, guys were sitting in their chairs in the field and their knees were coming up to their faces because the chairs were sinking into the ground. It was literally, I could I'd nowhere to sleep. We were literally flooded out. It was terrible. But I preached the gospel faithfully on a Saturday night and over 150 guys came forward in that one fell swoop. To make first-time commitment, everyone first-time commitment, gave a Bible and stuff it was great I saw one guy who tried to vault over the chairs to get forward actually run forward and near the cross I saw another guy who was an amputee and he had, literally had a peg leg and he was dragging his peg leg through the mud to get forward to give his life to Christ I've never literally never seen anything like it and then someone came up to me right at the end this, this, this beautiful scene of people getting saved and uh this guy comes up to me, he goes, Beachy, I went, what? He said, there's a bloke kneeling outside in the mud and I've got to tell you why and literally, there's a bloke, I was just like, he knelt in the mud and was sinking because he was not a Christian and he had heard the appeal for salvation he was going, no, it's just not for me, there's no God, there's definitely no God. Walked out of the tent and saw that in the sky and went, there is a God (laughs) and dropped on his knees and got saved. (laughs) So it's just brilliant and um just fantastic. And uh, this year we had a brilliant thing where it is, it is quite obviously quite blokey. And, um, and I was preaching and saying that any more men who want to come forward, any more men who want to come forward, give life? I, mean, I made about four appeals. Just milk this appeal and keep asking for people to come forward. And more and more guys were coming forward to give their lives to Christ. And then uh, it got quite crowded, so I couldn't see who was there. And then um, one of the guys came up to me. I'm on the stage quite high up. He said, he went... He went, mate, he said, a woman's come forward. And I was like, I didn't know there were any women here. <laughs> you know, I thought this was a men's event. And uh, I said, what's happened? He went, you need to talk to her, she wants to talk to you. And I, I got off the stage as Graham Kendrick and his band started to worship. And I got off the stage, and there was a lady standing there, and she said, and she was literally wrecked. She was shaking and crying and, like, totally broken. And I said, what's happened? What's your name? She said, Sam. And I said what's happened, Sam? She said, there's a man here with cerebral palsy who wanted to come and I'm his full-time carer. So um, I came, I came, he had men helping him and I came to help today. And so I was an atheist. She said, and I came here today and she said, and I heard, the, I heard this message about Jesus and I wanted to give my life to him but you kept saying, are there any more men? Are there any more men who want to come forward? And then she's like, I don't care, I need to come forward and kneel at the cross with all these guys. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that absolutely amazing? And actually, it was, the, it was the same night that a guy in the SAS got saved. We had a sneaky SAS guy in there, and he got saved the same night. So how amazing is the gospel that the night a carer gets saved, uh, basically a Special Forces soldier hearing the same message gets saved. How amazing is that? I mean, that is radically transformational, isn't it? And we should clap that, because it is incredible, isn't it? That's all God. It's all Jesus. And but the point was, I nearly gave up on it. I, 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 there were times I wanted to quit it. So I'd had enough. Like all these great stories... Like, literally, organising a camp for 2,000, probably nearly 3,000 guys next year when it's not my job, that's on the side in the margins, as well as running a church and being like full tilt here all the time. There are times when I just, honestly, last year when it was muddy and we were making jokes about it at the front, but it cost 10 grand. Like, we took a 10 grand hit trying to get past it, you know, and trying to, because there was so much damage and carnage and, we had complaints and people being miserable. The night I preached the gospel, and 150 guys got saved. One bloke got right in my face. I thought he was going to smack me. He's not a christian because He was so fed up, and everyone was moaning, and we were worried about the money. And I just thought, and like this terrible B&B, and I'm living in my mate's awning, and I hate everything in the world right now. You know, that's how you feel. It? It's just like terrible. I thought, is that it, God? You know, this this just go out in not even a bang because it's just muddy. Let's <laughs> just, do you say it? And then, and four years earlier, we'd had a bad year, and I thought, oh, really? You know, you just want to quit. And then I read verses like this. This is Second Samuel, and some of my favourite verses in the Bible, which won't surprise you when I read it. Second Samuel 23, verse eight. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. We had an SAS man saved at a gathering. This is the forerunner to the special forces in the Bible. Joseph Bashabeth, a Tehachmanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. It's good, good sort of stories for your children, bedtime reading. Next to him is Eleazar, son of Dodai the Aharite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pazdamin for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammar, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shemal took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During the harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the Valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in a stronghold and a Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem. It's like a massive hint, isn't it? It's like me in a sales meeting at eight o'clock. Oh, if only there was a coffee. If only there was coffee in the meeting. <laughs> so, so the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. To so get this, like, oh, if only I had some water, which you've got to break behind enemy lines to get. And then they get it, but he refused to drink it. <laughs> You'd have to light up, wouldn't you? Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine the image? Oh, I need some water. So these guys, they do a commando raid to get some, like, Perrier. And then they, and then they bring it back, and he's like, "Ha ha!" I poured it out before you. He'd be like, honestly, he'd be sitting there as a member of staff going, oh, oh, "Stupid! Far be it from me, Lord, to do this," he said. "Is he not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives?" And David wouldn't drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Abishai, the son of Joab, son of Zeruiah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed and became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honour than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. And so it goes on. Ben and I, son of Joedah, a valiant fighter from Kabzil, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mighty warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Because he could. There's no... Logical explanation for that one verse in the Bible. It's like a mighty warrior, there's a lion in a pit. Let's kill him. Prove my strength. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. though the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, ben and I went against him with a club. He snatched a spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such are the exploits of Beniah,s son of Joedo. He too is as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I believe that every word is in the Bible for a purpose. I mean, this is a very interesting story. It's like the 18 on steroids. you know. I mean, there's really amazing stuff. So let's take a couple of bits out of this as we cruise into our day and before we pray. Um, First principle, verse 9. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahite,' as one of the mighty three warriors who was with David. And the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground, struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Sometimes, sometimes as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to, or in fact, all the time, we need to remember, particularly here, that we're engaged in battle. And it's a ferocious battle. And it's a brutal battle, actually. And it's more ferocious than any physical battle that's ever been fought. Because the battle that we're engaged in is to see people snatched out of hell and in heaven for eternity. You know, the victory that we fight when we do things like the gathering or a mission team goes out or we manage to bring some money in or the systems are working smoothly, it gives people a shot at goal. That's that's massive engagement against the enemy every single time. I think at the at the gathering we took out enemy generals that week. Now it's it's full on. So no wonder sometimes you want to quit. Of course you want to quit. I think the biggest weapon that the enemy uses against us is the little whisper that says, just give up. It'd be easy if you gave up. You know, just press that big red stop button. And I think I've said before, like I've I have work fantasies about being a long-distance lorry driver or a postman. You know, like, I come out of a field and then I'm, the alarm went off at quarter past five this morning. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to get up. I don't want to put my waterproof motorcycle gear on. And then, I, you know, eventually you sort of, come on, be a man. <laughs> Stop whinging. And then you get on your motorbike and you drive past loads of traffic on the motorbike going, ha-ha! Past the traffic and then uh, I get to the office and, uh, and there's it, manky coffee in a coffee pot and a spoon stuck to the paper cup and you think, Ew. And then you go into the sales meeting and there's still no coffee and then you think, oh, just like I just want to put my feet up and watch Supermarket Sweep. Is that still a thing? That's <laughs> one. Watch a bit of Daryl Winson and, Eat some Maltesers. <laughs> Don't you ever feel like that? Well, maybe not like that. But I'm like, oh, let's just put homes under the hammer and have a tuna sandwich and do nothing. And it's that little quit button, you know, last year at the gathering, oh, just going home and literally everyone left the field like by, by three o'clock in the afternoon, by nine o'clock in the evening. We're still trying to pull chairs out of the big top. Like, you know, there's no there's no super apostle thing going on here. I mean, I'm walking around pulling chairs out of the big top and then I'm splashing back to my awning and get up in the morning and swung out of this little famed camp bed and put my feet in a puddle of muddy water. I'm like, is this what my life has come to after 23 years of ministry? Still pulling chairs out of the thing and... oh. And you just think just would love to quit. Or the times when you get an horrible email of someone maybe even from me and you just think I could just, I've just had enough. I don't need this. Or someone in church says something about you and you think I'd just like to walk away from this actually. Just, I, I just worship God on my own. I don't need all this faff called people. I could read books and listen to CDs or downloads of people and stuff all that. You ever felt like that? Felt up with reaching out to people and they just throw it back in my face. And every time I try and do good, someone misinterprets it. And even my best efforts are underappreciated. And I've done all this stuff, but all the execs have seen is this. (laughs) You didn't see that. I know what you're saying, I have been on the receiving end of all of that for the last 20 years. But if God has spoken, and you know you're in the right place, sometimes all you've got to do is freeze your hand to the sword and stand in your place. And God will do the rest. And we pitched up this year, and we did the thing, and uh, we were carrying a deficit which those of you who are ever interested in the money side of things, we were carrying a deficit from last year's hit. And because we had such a bad year last year, you always take a dip in numbers, then you have a massive bounce-up. It happens in every Christian festival, and we have 100 people down on where we wanted to be, um, which is hard, because that last 100 people is where the, the, the profit comes to help you build for next year. And we go, oh, God, you know, you, we cling on to your promises, we saw the rainbow and we've seen the cross in the sky we believe you've spoken you gave a vision to those guys about the field and they've they've made masses of sacrifices not commercialising those fields for us so we're going to go again and so we go again and a whole bunch of guys get saved and the only woman on the site who's not a Christian gets saved and then we take up an offering and it is the biggest one ever you just think God's got it but, you know, now we're preparing that this thing is probably going to hit 4,000 people in the next three to four years. we are hundreds and hundreds of non-Christians there. Blokes who'd never normally come under the sound of the gospel. If God has spoken to you, sometimes you've got to freeze your hand to the sword. If you ever feel that quit button, don't action it until you're absolutely sure. Oh, I love that image. And spiritually, sometimes, actually, we've got to be too next to him was Shamar, son of a the Hararite. And when the Philistines banded together at a the place where there was a field full of lentils, the Israel's troops fled from them. Notice this. Twice in the first two instances here, with Eleazar and Shemar, they were both left alone. And that's one of the most dispiriting things, isn't it? Jesus was left alone. And sometimes the biggest pressure is you know, if you're pioneering something and some of you, particularly some of you younger guys, you know, you're looking at, you know, future leadership and pioneering things, sometimes you may have to stand on your own. But when everyone runs away from you, then you ask serious questions. You have in church life too. If you want to contend for Christ, there will be a time where maybe you have to stand alone. I've felt that. In fact, when everyone was moaning about the gathering, when we first went to set it up, I got dozens of letters from people who used to go to the old conference saying, I will never come again. If you go camping and not in the Royal Court Hotel in Coventry, I will stop my donation. But I knew that God had spoken to us because a bloke had come along with a cardboard tube when I'd arrogantly said, I want to create my own festival. (laughs) But I knew that God was in it. So you hold the line. But they, often, you're left alone, and that's what happened here. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. Now, when you read commentaries about this, a lot of people say there is spiritual significance about the lentils. I'm serious. Get a commentary on 2 Samuel. They say that the Philistines banded together at a place where there's a field full of lentils, and Israel's troops fled from them, and Shemar stood alone. And the commentators, the theologians, talk about the value of lentils and the spiritual significance of the lentils. I think that's rubbish. I think it's arbitrary. I don't think he was a militant veggie. I don't think he had a passion for lentils. It could be apples. Could be chilies. It could be anything. Do you know what I think happened? He was left alone, and he's a bit of a hero. He's got a sense of what he's about. And he knows he's God, and he drew a line in the sand. And he could have been anywhere. But he basically said, you ain't coming into my field of lentils. So have some of that back in your face. That's basically what it was. The line has been drawn. Here, I will take my stand. And I think that's for every single one of us who follow Christ. Where have you drawn your line and where will you stand? I think we're in an age now where the lines are getting increasingly blurred. We don't know what we're about. Jesus said, follow the Matthew, uh, Matthew 7. Jesus said, follow the narrow path, didn't he? He said the way to life is through a narrow gate and we walk on a narrow path, but the lines are getting blurred. It's a point where we don't know where the curb is anymore. There's so much chat out there. The word of God's getting more and more diluted. Well, we've made a stand here at the message, haven't we? Gospel front and centre. We'll never compromise the gospel. You can debate all the other stuff, but we will never compromise the word of God. We'll never compromise the gospel. We'll always proclaim Christ front and centre. That's our line in the sand. We'll never stop doing that no one will stop you can take away our gift aid you can, take away, you can put legislation on us but actually we will never stop proclaiming the gospel take away our charitable status we will never ever stop proclaiming the gospel that's the point that. that's our line isn't it but you also need a personal line what's your personal line what's your personal line of holiness what's your field of lentils that's a question to ask today isn't it where is it though for you I know there's things I don't do and there's things that I will not put myself into certain like situations because I want, I want to hold the line and I want to be effective for Jesus. Now there's a line on where my humor will go, believe it or not. There's a line where my conduct will go. There, there is actually a line. It's just way at the back of the field of lentils, but it's there. I've got one that I know where I will or won't go. There's a place where my behavior will or won't go. I've got a mate who's a senior national Christian leader who will never, ever stay in a hotel where there is pay-per-view pornography. He just won't do it. And I said, surely, this was years ago, I said to him, surely you must have been caught out. You must have gone to a hotel where he said, no, I ask. He said, I say, what have you got through? He said, when I book, I check or I ask people who stay in those hotel chains, I check it. And I know what hotel chains don't or don't do or don't. He said, because I know my vulnerability. Said, this is a senior national Christian leader. There's a reason he's a senior national Christian leader, right? He's held the line. He said, I said, must have been a time. He said, there was one time. He said, I got into the room and they did have a pay per view menu in a, in a plastic thing, a holder, that actually showed blatantly. That there was pornography on offer. I said, what do you do? He said, I immediately phoned down to reception. He said, can you remove the television? So the uh, guy comes up and he said, oh, no, it's all hardwired in. He said, well, there must be a room without a television. He said, no, all the rooms have got televisions in. So, said, can you please remove it? And he said, we can't, so it's all hardwired in. He said, can you turn it off, like, centrally? Can you cut the power to it? He said, no, it's all in the system. We, like, we cannot do that. So he said, thank you very much. And the guy walked out, so he said, he sat on the edge of his bed and he said, I don't know what to do, what do I do? So he went down to reception, he said, can I have a pair of scissors, please? And they came so they had a pair of scissors, he went back up to Zoom and he snipped the wire. He said, i will pay the bill. I'd rather pay the bill, charge 100 quid if you want. I'd rather pay the bill than compromise my God and like not have a line drawn I, I know where I'm at I know what I'm about and I'll tell you what I bet God's honoured that might have cost him a shed load of cash but I bet God's honoured that and I bet that's why he is what he is and then so it goes on and we have this extraordinary thing about water but i tell you what that is is—he's showing you three things here it's showing you hold the line stick your ground and let's have a culture of honour within that. That's what this is. Like he's fought side by side with his guys. Shoulder to shoulder. Face and flak, lost some friends, been in bloody battle. And then his soldiers they want to honour him, they risk their lives to get their commander a drink. And he's like, These men are everything, far be it from me. These these guys are everything. What a beautiful kind of mutually giving honour to each other there. Beautiful picture. And I, I I, think one of the things that really pleases the Lord about some ministries is where they constantly are cheering each other on, constantly outdoing one another in giving honour, outdoing one another in giving honour. Everything we say is good. or We speak people up and we don't fall into the comparisons trap or we don't bump our gums in the background about someone. We have clear conversations and we keep it honourable and we and we say favourable things. And, you know, when we're talking to other people about each other, we say upward things. You know, we yes, we have honest critique and we need to face problems head on and there's a place for honest chat and not leaving any rubbish on the floor and just dealing with stuff when right we're in front of it. But within that, we have a culture of honour and mutual respect. And that's what builds family and what builds trust and I believe pleases the Lord a lot, actually. The Bible talks in many places about that kind of altar, and you see it played out there. So there you go. From a field near Swindon to Manchester, freeze your hand to the sword, draw your line, and let's create a culture of honour in this place, even more so than what we currently have. So I'd like us to pause for a moment, and let's, in your hearts, decide now where you need to freeze your hands of the sword where you need to draw a line and maybe the holy spirit's even whispering to you now about where that line is or where you've trodden over it but god can bring you back and recalibrate you if we've spoken out a turn let's just give that to god let's have a moment now and then we'll pray for some message stuff Father, you know it's in our hearts. You know we're processing what we're thinking about and we give those those things to you, God. seal what's of you into our hearts by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.